Morning, everybody. Morning. And it's good to be at South Green on this uh, service. And uh, if I haven't said it already, Happy New Year. Uh, 2017 should be a good one, hopefully. And uh, look forward to see what God has in store for us as a whole church and also for you here at uh, South Green. I'm sure there's good things ahead. Uh, so we, because it's the new year, we're continuing our series um, on the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember uh, Jesus went up on the mountainside and his disciples followed him and, and he began to teach them. He sat down. This is what rabbis did at the time when they had something important. So he sat, sat down he began to teach them. And then, of course, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll get to two weeks after Easter, um, it says the people, the crowds, were amazed at his teaching. So as we're, we have Jesus' teaching to us and we're around him, so the world should look on and see in us uh, what, uh, what he's taught us and how we're living that out as we look at, we're looking at our character and going on to say how effective we are and everything else, then we should make a difference as we just live it out, as we be Christians. So I'm just going to read from uh, Matthew chapter 5 from verse 33, if you've got your Bible. Um, and the uh, title is Living a Life of Integrity. As Christians, we should have integrity. Uh, there should be integrity in the world, but certainly as Christians, uh, we should be living a life contrary to what is so often modelled by the world. So living a life of integrity, it's Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 33 uh, to 37, and these are words of Jesus to us as much today as they were for those followers then. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So, Jesus once again, uh, breaking through the religious leaders at the time who thought they knew best, uh, once again he speaks into their lives and says, you're trying to twist things and I'm going to give you a new model, a new standard. And as we think about our character, which we've been working on uh, for nearly a year now, since I came in February last year. Um, oh, thank you. Well, that would have been a bit dangerous, wouldn't it? We had a smashing time, wouldn't we? Thank you. Um, where was I? I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> I might have a sip of water. Where is it? <laughs> um, yeah, if we've been looking at our character for the best part of a year, I'm coming up for a year uh, uh, on the 1st of February, and, and saying that our character should shine through, that as more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we should model a, a character that's like Jesus. And as we're moving and we're switching into the theme of the new year about being effective, effective as Christians, as people, as a church, you know, what are we about? How are we doing? And looking at that, that's part of this is living out this word. You know, being effective is actually living up to, or trying to live up to, the words of Jesus. A Jesus lifestyle. So, if you think about the world, there's a lot of lying about and untruth. Do you notice that? Or am I the only one? I mean, you watch a football game, right, and they play for the foul. And I think, oh, it just feels like cheating to me. You know, it might be a dive. People are, he's a good diver. Well, he's not supposed to be diving. If he gets fouled, get the free kick or the penalty. But they play for it and they kind of huddle up and then sort of trip over. You know, you've never seen football. I mean, these footballers are super fit, right? And they roll around. They should be gymnasts. 
because they roll around trying to get the foul. And then you look at a game of rugby when they get really crunched, they kind of shrug it off and go off and, you know, they play on with broken bones and all sorts. But they play for the foul, all the rolling around. And, and uh, we, we, West Ham, uh, got, uh, got done by that a few weeks ago. Red card was rescinded, but it's too late. Uh, we lost the game. Not, I've got over it. I've had ministry and prayer and everything else. <laughs> I remember I used to work, at, work and live in New York. And you, you used to have beggars in New York. It's very difficult, isn't it, when you see someone on the street and they look freezing cold and, and you think, well, yeah, I'm a, well, I wasn't a Christian then, but you know, now you'd say I was a Christian. Even kind of pass them by. And uh, I remember uh, putting $5 in this guy's cap. And, they'd wanted to, and, and he, he was on a, uh, you know, he's on a, I've got no legs and I was in a Vietnam War and sort of thing. And uh, about half an hour later, I went to TGI Fridays and he was in there. And it, it was either a real miracle because his legs had grown back. And I thought, ah, oh, it's on his, it's on his uh, conscience, not mine. Uh, newspapers, they say the only thing you can trust in a newspaper is the date, and even then you should question it. Uh, or win at whatever cost. Those of us who are a little bit older, George Bush, do you remember his great line when he was the president? He was, he was, he was trying to become president for the first time. This is George Bush II. And uh, he said, read my lips, I will not raise taxes. Remember that? And what did he do the next year? He raised taxes. Uh, Bill Clinton, I did not have sexual relations with that girl. Benefit fraud. There's, there's loads of lies around. Football, again, you know, another West Ham player, Pyatt, he's under contract, he's getting paid a fortune. But he wants to move, and that's okay, he's entitled to want to do whatever he wants. But I'm refusing to train now. I'm, I'm not going to train, and I'm not going to play for the side. He's under contract, he lacks integrity because he's not living up to what he's supposed to do. So what does it all breed? It breeds distrust, uncertainty, resentment, questions of who or what can I trust? You know, there's no truth. You know, the new word, in, did you see the new word this year? They put new words in, don't they, the dictionary? There's a new one. Anyone know what it is? Pardon? Well, I didn't know that one. I have to look that one up. That sounds a lot better than what I'm going to say. Post-truth. That's a new, post-truth. There's no real truth. It's postmodernism. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Jesus says, I am the truth. A recent Mori poll researched the degree of which the general public trusted different professions. Politicians and governments, as you'd probably expect, uh, were least trusted. 70% said they wouldn't uh, tell the truth. Uh, pretty much the same about journalists. Trusting church ministers has fallen 10% over the last 25 years. Trust seems to be uh, going out of the world. Sunday Times article said, under the old moral code, under the old moral code, if you lied, you were a liar. You know, a lie was a lie. But now, it's perfectly okay to manipulate the facts in a good cause. It could be anything. You know, maybe it's only a white lie. Maybe it's the fingers behind your back. Or maybe getting out of commitment that, okay, there are times when we just cannot make that commitment. But when you just don't feel like it, I'll think of something to say so I don't have to do it. And we live now in a time where deception is everywhere. Dishonesty is no longer seen as inherently bad, especially if you get away with it. And it's a, it's a typical stereotypical, because they're not all like it. Estate agents, used car salesmen, car servicing, road builders, con men, bankers, brokers, the list goes on and on. Can't trust them. And maybe, do we even start it early? Or children, you know, when we were children. I know, I know I've made loads of promises, my uh, fingers crossed behind my back. But do we allow it to creep into our adult world? Without the fingers, but we think, well, that's not really a lie, is it? But it is. As adults, we can make promises. We say we'll do things which seem good at the time. We might say on the spur of the moment. But when it comes to fulfilling them, 
and the task in front of us, circumstances might change. All of a sudden, the, the promise becomes an inconvenience and we want to kind of find a way out of it. Now, you'll laugh, but certainly, certainly when I started in the city in 1984, uh, dictum, me and pactum, which is Latin for my word is my bond, was taken very, very seriously. Honestly, it was ingrained into us. You know, if you were caught lying, it was a written warning. I mean, it was taken, I mean, you can't believe it now, but it was taken so seriously. If I was on the Florida stock market and I was a jobber, they called us jobbers, they call them market makers now, and we was on those hexagonal pitches that you'll remember on the exchange floor, and the brokers would approach us and ask us for a price, and we took the risk. They were just acting on behalf of the client. And if they dealt the wrong way, so say we quoted the price and they said, well, I'll buy 25,000 shares. And I said, well, you have to always repeat, I'll sell you 25,000 shares. I said, oh, sorry, I meant to say sell. And even though no money or anything had changed hands, even though I hadn't written the ticket and he hadn't written his ticket because I had my jobbing book and he had his broker slip, we weren't allowed to do that. What we had to do, he said, I bought, I'll buy 25,000. I said, I'll sell you 25. I said, oh, sorry, I should have sold them. I said, okay, don't worry. Um, I'll buy that 25,000 back off of you and then you can sell me what you were supposed to do in the beginning. It's called a contra bargain, because they said once you'd said it, it was unbreakable. Do you believe that? And that is true, that is absolutely true. She'd have three, I'd have three bargains in my jobbing book. I've sold them, I've bought them back at the same price, so no one's lost or made, and then I've bought them again off of him, because that's what you're supposed to do. It wouldn't be enough to say, well, that's okay, we haven't booked it, we'll just, you know, just sell me. And that's how seriously it was taken. We've lost it. In our society, the city... Uh, to a certain extent has lost it. Uh, but certainly in society, well, is our word taken for what it is? The society that Jesus was speaking into was just as dishonest and corrupt as sometimes ours is now. And his words are or should be as impacting to us now as they were then. And in this part in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has given us practical examples of how we as Christians can live good lives, live Jesus' lives and be salt and truth in our society and to live lives of integrity, honesty and truthfulness. I mean, I could say to my wife Andrew earlier today, I could do this sermon in five minutes. It's just like, if you say you're going to do it, do it. And really, I mean, it comes down to telling the truth, and if you say you're going to do something, do it. You know, you don't have to make big promises and use God's name, and, and you know, and it should never be asked of me if I say I'm going to do something. Do you really mean that? Do you promise? I, shouldn't have, I should be known as a person if I say I'm going to do it. We do it. And it affects then our character and effectiveness as Christians. If we're not like that, we need to be people of honesty, integrity, reliability, accountability. Truth shouldn't need to be questioned and trust needs to be restored. And integrity, it said, is pleases God. I know this because it says it in the Bible. I haven't just made this up. On a personal level in 1 Chronicles 29, it says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. God is pleased when we are people of integrity. And for the functioning of a wider society, when Jethro told his son-in-law Moses, how to share the burden of leadership in Exodus 18. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. In the message it says, keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders. Integrity. Integrity. It's key to leadership. Proverbs 20, sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. It's important to God that his people tell the truth. I mean, because we're, we're witnessing for him. And God is truth. So how do we live this life of integrity? We do it. Simply, when we look at this passage, verses 33 to 37, by following Jesus. You know, we just sang, set apart. You know, set us apart, Lord. The Bible says, set apart Christ as Lord. He's my brother, he's your brother, he's our friend, and he's our king. 
He's our brother. I mean, I, you know, it's so intimate, isn't it? Jesus is my brother. He's my friend. And he's my king. And he's talking to me as a brother, as a friend, and as my master when he speaks these words. So we're going to look at them. Um, and we're just, I've just got some points I want to make. Only three. Uh, but uh, integrity, the first one, is in our whole life. It can't be while we're here. Well, it can be. But it, it shouldn't leave us as we walk out the door or when we're at work, or in the home. It's with us. It's who we are. It's a whole life. Christianity is living this life of Jesus, isn't it? Not just bits of it. You know, the Titanic sailed in 1912. It was called the unsinkable due to new uh, thinking. You know, they thought they had this new technology. You cannot sink this ship. The hull of the ship was divided into 16 watertight compartments. And it meant that if four flooded, it didn't mean the whole ship would uh, go down. Anyway, on the 15th of April 1912, at 2.20, the ship sank. The unsinkable ship sank. 1,517 people drowned. And originally, they thought it sank because the iceberg ruptured the hull. That's what the original thought was. They thought it created a gash in the hull that was too big. 73 years later, they found the wreckage on the 1st of September 1985. Do you know, there were no signs of a gash in the hull. There was nothing. There wasn't, the, the iceberg didn't rupture. Didn't rupture it. Isn't that amazing? Do you know that? That's true. Didn't rupture it. The collision's impact, in fact, what had happened, had buckled or loosened the seams in the hole plates and it caused them to separate. So it didn't gash a hole in it. It damaged the structure in the various compartments and it gradually broke. And it allowed some water to flood in and sink the ship. An impact just to one of the compartments that didn't breach it had affected all the others and weakened it. Rick Warren speaks of the Titanic mistake when we try to compartmentalise our lives into various segments. This is my church life, where I'm happy for God to be involved. It's good to have God here, I like that. And this is my work life, when maybe there's parts of it I don't want God involved. And this is my social life, where I really, really don't want God to be involved. And the mistake is to think that one compartment won't affect the other. Instead... We have God at the centre of our lives, affecting everything around it. When I was uh, in Broken, obviously the city had a lot of scandals and everything else. And the problem is everyone gets tarred with the same brush. You know, we're, we're all hoodlums and robbers and stealers. And there's a lot of good people in the city, but there's some bad people as well, and they have to be held to account. But because the companies are trying to rebuild their image, they're all these brokers and bankers, and you can see they do various things uh, in society. They release their employees for weeks at a time to go and do good deeds. So that's really good. But one of the litmus tests that our compliance said to us in HR said, anything you say, anything you write on the chat thing, uh, the dealing chat thing, uh, anything you put in an email, would you be happy for it to be front page of the local paper? And they said, it's a good litmus test. And I thought, yeah, it's actually quite good. So when I go around being a Christian Billericay and I say things about people or chat to people, would I be happy? I mean, there's certain things I can't because there's, there's confidentiality. But my general life, would I be happy for that to be front page news? Am I living a transparent life? And we're called to act with integrity wherever we are. We don't want to compartmentalise like they tried to do with the Titanic. And it's not about being something we're not, but allowing God. Because I struggle. I'm a pilgrim on his journey the same as you. I don't get it right all the time. Um, but we need more of the Holy Spirit with us and God to change us from the inside out and allow his grace to minister to us. I remember when I was a younger Christian, um, I wasn't doing this, 
and uh, I was compartmentalising and it's so stressful. It's so stressful being two or three different people. It does your head in. And I remember sat down with a minister and he said, Ian, just let them know you're a Christian and you've got to stop pretending and then you're free. And it was absolutely the right thing to do. And I remember we used to have American clients would come over and they'd say, right, Smithy's taking him out on the Monday because there's no way he's coming with us where we're going Tuesday. And they, instead of me having to make excuses and pretending, uh, I was taken out of the equation. And everyone knew it. And, and that's a witness. It was hard. It was really hard. But that's, it took the pressure in the end off me. I didn't have to keep making reasons I couldn't go to certain places. I just didn't get invited. So, integrity in our whole life. Second one is integrity in your word. When we give our word, we should mean it and keep it. It's frustrating, isn't it, when someone says, well, I'll, I'll be there for you for that and then don't turn up or no explanation or I'll get this done. I'll get this done. I want to help, but then they're not there when it really comes to it. It's frustrating. When we give a word as a Christian, we should mean it. It should mean something. We're Christians. God hears every word we utter. He's involved in everything we say or do. He sees it all and he hears it all. Therefore, our words and our lives should be consistent. All promises, really, if you think about it, are sacred. If I promise something, if I say I'm going to do it, it's sacred because they're all made in the presence of God. God lives within me and within you. When I say something, he's going to expect me to follow through. Jesus said in verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. It's not really that part, an accurate, I'm not saying Jesus got this wrong, but it's not an accurate translation from any one particular Old Testament verse, but it is an ac- accurate summary of all the Old Testament teaching that was going on. And the Pharisees, when they were talking to Jesus and around him, they were trying to get out of stuff. They were trying to say, well, this promise means this, and this promise means that. And this is what he was speaking into. In the Old Testament, God allowed people to make vows using his name to reinforce their commitment. He didn't say they had to, but he, but he allowed it. But once made, you invoke God's name, you'd better keep it. You'd better keep it because God's a holy God. And this is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was against all false swearing and perjury. The intention at the time was to stop the lying, to stop the outworking of lies that means you can't rely on each other's words. And further teaching in the Pentateuch, don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive, don't swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your, the, uh, sorry, the name of your God. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19. And again, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but do everything he said, Numbers 30. So a person wasn't generally required to take this oath, but if they did, they had to keep it. And when an oath or a promise was made in the name of God, it was to be kept. It, to not keep it dishonoured God and God's name, the Bible says, must be honoured. Hallowed be your name. Now the Pharisees at that time, Jesus, had constructed an entire legal system around that Old Testament uh, teaching of laws. They, made, they started making distinctions between vows. Some were binding and some were not. I know I said it, but I didn't invoke God's name, so sorry, I'm going to let you down. They made it suit them. Uh, they weren't so careful if God's name wasn't used, the equivalent of the child with the crossed fingers behind their back. Oaths by heaven and earth weren't binding. This is why Jesus says in this passage, what is it for you to swear on heaven or earth, or even on your own head, or even on Jerusalem? It's not up to you. Your yes is yes and you know is no. So carefully chosen words determined for them uh, whether they could justify lying and be deceitful. And instead of promoting integrity, the oaths and promises became corrupt and misleading. 
Instead of reinforcing promises, they look for loopholes. And it's against that background that the words of Jesus destroys the idea that it's okay for them and for us now that our word can be cheapened. He's saying it's not a question of bringing God in on a promise. It's that you can't keep him out of it. He's with us all the time. He hears what we say. He's already there. It all comes back to God in the end. Jesus quotes the Old Testament in this passage we're looking at to try and you know, push it back to him. Verse 34 and 35 when he talks about uh, heaven, he says, well, heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. And he's quoting Isaiah 66. In verse 35 he says, Jerusalem is the city of the great king. You shouldn't be swearing on that. Psalm 48. Verse 36, our heads belong to God. He even decides its colour. We can't tell whether it's black and white, so we shouldn't even swear on our own heads. It's not up to the Pharisees or us in 2017 what we can base our promises on. If we say we're going to do something, or we, we must be truthful. We must have integrity. It all comes back to God. Jesus deals with the same issue later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 23, says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, blind guide, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. You see, he's got one of these promises that I swore by the temple. Doesn't, that doesn't count. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You see, they're trying to discriminate between what's worth keeping and what's not. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. He's saying, you're missing it. You're totally missing the point. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Again, they were trying to manipulate the oaths, the promises. And once again, the Pharisees wanted to know where the line was and when I can cross it. They're trying to get away with it. And that's not the Christian life or the Jesus lifestyle. He's our brother, our friend, our king. I just want to walk with him and do the right thing. I foul so often, but I know I'm forgiven and I'm restored. But it's this ongoing willingness to be in step with the Spirit. Once again, the Pharisees wanted to know where the line was. Could they cross it? We don't want to be like them. Once again, Jesus is more concerned about their hearts, their inward character. Jesus is saying to them, and he says to us today, it's irrelevant whether you name God or not. The fact is, he is in it. That, that that makes you feel a bit humble, doesn't it? When I think about the things I say and do. God is in all of it. We can't divide, nor can I, our lives in the neat little boxes with God in some and not the others. shouldn't be a language I use here or actions I use here but I can't use in the week. God is involved in everything, in our speech. He's everywhere. He's Emmanuel. We just had this just over a few weeks ago. God with us. He's with us. And in society we get contracts, don't we? Now, I don't know about you, I'm not good on small print. And I know we're supposed to check it, but now it's in... Check the small print. You know you're signing a contract, but there's going to be a get-out in there. This is kind of how we are. Is this how we want to be? Well, I'll I'll make a promise, but I'll probably be able to get out of that. We don't want to be small print Christians. We really don't. He's involved in everything. Maybe promises made with the metaphorical fingers crossed behind our backs. It's not the Christian path. Integrity is part of God's plan. Let's get back to, even if it's been corrupted, my word is my bond. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else, worryingly, comes from the evil one. And then finally, integrity is a mark of Christian discipleship. It needs integrity of the heart, otherwise I'm just telling you a load of rules. And Jesus, it wasn't so much a rule book as a life. He's showing us a life. 
the prophets of old said, uh, talked about the Holy Spirit circumcising our hearts, making us want to walk in step with the Spirit and openness to the Holy Spirit, walking like Jesus, the Jesus lifestyle. Jesus says in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, it's, that's where the mouth speaks. Our hearts need to be right. And so we need a heart response and integrity, constant work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, language and actions. So when our heart is truly surrendered to God, that true integrity between your thoughts, actions uh, and words come together. Jesus modelled it. Our brother, our friend, our king modelled it. Pharisees said to Jesus in Matthew 22, we know you are a man of integrity. You pay no attention to who people are. He didn't have much uh, time for the hierarchy. He just wanted to be, he, he told truth and he wants us to do the same. We need to echo David's words in Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart, purify my heart, set in apart Christ as Lord. We sung it, create in me a pure heart. Jesus doesn't abolish the law, but he returns to the original purpose behind the law, his heart. The whole system of oath-taking had become corrupt and has been abused to avoid telling the truth. We don't want to do that. Christian faith is a very practical faith and Jesus gives very practical advice. And verse 36 really paraphrased, which is the point of the whole sermon, is you don't need to swear by anything. Let, just let your yes be yes, your no be no. It should be enough. When you're a Christian, you say that, it should be enough. And Jesus' brother James said the same thing in James 5. Above, above all my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else, let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you'll be condemned. I mean, that's a bit of a worry. Basically, honest people shouldn't need to, re- to resort to oaths. Their words should be enough. Christians shouldn't have to resort to oaths. Now, some have taken this to an extreme. Uh, one of my heroes in the faith was uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, of the college and Prince of Preachers, he was called at the time. But he, he actually said, you shouldn't even take an oath in court. We're on dodgy ground now. What do we do if we get called into court? The Quakers have traditionally taken that line as well. But we don't have to take literally some of these things, to exclude a court of law. Jesus responded to an oath of testimony at his trial, and Paul used solemn expressions to appeal to God. But there's a, there's a, it's our Christian life. Jesus tells his followers that you and me need to speak truth. All the time. All the time to the point that we don't need an oath. There's no finger crossing. We have integrity. We're known to be honest. We're truthful and reliable. We must be known as followers of Christ. We should be the most trustworthy people on this earth. As followers of Christ, we've got to be trustworthy. As followers of Christ, we must be known for being truth. We must be good for our word. And what does it mean? I've got a good illustration. I, I was never a money broker, but a friend of mine was a money broker. And he said, um, I said, how many days holiday do you get? He goes, uh, 25 plus 5. I said, well, I understood the first bit. What's the plus 5 bit? What's that mean? He said, oh, there are our little tokens we get. So what do you mean tokens? He said, well, the boss on the desk, we get 25 days holiday, which is five weeks, because they work Monday to Friday. So uh, he said, we, we all want six weeks. So we have these, we dish them out at the beginning. One's cracked pipe. One's gastric flu. One's mum's sick. And you can trade them in. So I could say, next Thursday, I want to trade, my, not me, because I wasn't the money broker, he's is my mate. He said, I can say, next Thursday, I want a day off. There's my gastric flu ticket. No, not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. You can't do that. No more of those sick days when you're not really sick. You ever see the Peter Kay sketch when he talks about when you ring in on a sick day? He said, I don't know why, because your boss can't see you. Right? You're on the phone. But somehow we all sit there and we kind of do this and say, I'm really ill. 
It's like, he can't see me, you know. But we tend to kind of put it on. Just get, I'm so ill. I'm so, I can't get in. Um, I remember a friend of mine, uh, he phoned in sick, and his boss lived in the local area, and he rang up the local pub, and he says, Paul there, he said, yeah, I'll just get him for you. <laughs> Christians shouldn't be known for this. We should be reliable workers. No money market tabs for days off. Taxman. You're not lying to the tax man. To confidently expect to be believed. If we say something, we'll just be believed. If we say things, if we say something, we do it. We do it. We're reliable. Reliability should be a key factor. Timekeeping. You know, Shakespeare said better to be two hours early than one minute late. I've drilled that into my kids. You know, don't get to an interview a minute late. You know, get there well. You know, I hate being late. I hate it with a vengeance. It stresses me out. But certainly in business meetings, they would not tolerate that. If I went to a meeting late, they would start the meeting bang on time. And the, their, their point would be, why is your time more precious than ours, Ian? And it's true. Uh, marriage. Uh, as, as worshippers, as members. You know, we need, I'm committed to this church in all its guises and three congregations. I need to have integrity for that. I need to work at it and be passionate about it. I don't like all of it. Uh, you know, there's things that I'd... There's other things um, I think we could be doing in some areas and uh, other things I think we should be doing more of, but, uh, but I'm committed because I want to have integrity and I want to grow it for God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And as our integrity fails, we, can, we have the propensity to bring dishonour to his name. And his name is to be honoured because he is the truth. When I was ordained, I'm just finishing now, um, when I was ordained, uh, back in 2005, Nigel Wright was the then principal of Spurgeon's College and he preached from Matthew 10. And he said, if I've got... So he gave us lots of tips. He kept saying, if I've got one thing to tell you, in, then he told me about ten things. But one of them was transparency. He said, if you can lead a transparent ministry, then you haven't got to fear what's coming out of the cupboard because there's nothing in there. Or if you've confessed something, it's confessed. But lead a transparent life. And I'm trying to do that. And I get it wrong sometimes. And as I say, I'm a pilgrim on the same journey as you. I'm not perfect. I pray for the Holy Spirit to continually circumcise my heart, to think the right thoughts, to say the right things. And I get it wrong on numerous occasions. And I'm not perfect. But I am willing to try and walk that walk. And I have got integrity where I say, God, you keep, I need you to do this because sometimes I don't feel like it. But I need you to keep sending your spirit to me to be, keep on being filled and walking with integrity. John Stott uh, said, When Jesus is Lord of our beliefs, opinions, ambitions, standards, values and lifestyle, then we are integrated Christians. Then integrity marks our life. Only when he is Lord do we become whole. I thought, that's an amazing, I want to be whole. And it's really only, you know, not compartmentalising like I used to. When I say I set apart Christ as Lord in every area of my life, as best I can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I become whole. We all want to be whole, don't we? All of us. You know, we're all hurt in some way or another. Uh, you know, we just want to be whole. And I want to set apart Christ as Lord. Holy because he's holy. So as we continue to work on our character and our effectiveness, living this Jesus lifestyle, it's our whole life and it's the mark of a Christian. So let your yes be yes and your no be no and everything else comes from the evil one. Let me pray for you. Thank you for your word, Lord. And once again, we read it, we're challenged. We know that you're walking alongside us. We know that you prompt us, encourage us. 
And Lord, we need you to fill us with your spirit to help us walk the Jesus way, a Jesus lifestyle. We want to be like those crowds that were amazed at your teaching. And Lord, I think it's great that we can look at the world and a lot of it's good and a lot of it's bad. But you give us a choice to follow you. You give us a different way of life that we can walk with you, where we can make a difference in the world. When the world's dark, we can be shining like stars. Lord, I pray for all of us as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our character, our effectiveness. I pray we'd be an attractive people that draw others to your kingdom, to your church, all of it for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, my brother, my friend and my king. For your glory and your sake. Amen.